state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Snap down, the kick is up, and the kick is good! Here's Lane! Huskers win it 13-10. They beat Northwestern and go to 4-2. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Here we are, Wednesday night, Sports Highly on the Husker Sports Network. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time here on a Wednesday night. Here's what we have coming up in the next three hours, a practice report with comments from offensive coordinator Troy Walters as Nebraska gets ready for a trip north to take on the Minnesota Golden Gophers Saturday night. The weather's going to be an issue. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. Coming up in hour number two, we'll have our Big Ten Blitz. We'll check in with what's happening at Maryland, Iowa, and Wisconsin for matchups coming up this week. We'll have our Big Red Replay of the Week, giving you a chance to be a winner courtesy of the Nebraska Lottery. We'll play a clip from Saturday's game over with a win over Northwestern. If you can identify the play, we'll make you a winner courtesy of the Nebraska Lottery. Third hour of the program, we'll have buy-sell. Been a couple of weeks since we've played buy-sell. We'll see how this season is going. And we'll hear from our Major League Baseball insider, Lane Grindle, who's now into his offseason. We'll get his thoughts about this Cardinals team. It looks like they're on their way to the NLCS. They just came out of the gates a rocking. Put up 10 on the Braves in the first inning and have never have not looked back. It's 13 to 1 in the bottom of the fifth inning. And if you're driving by Haymarket Park and saw the lights on today, you were not imagining anything. It was game one of the Red White series. We were over there watching a little Husker ball. Talking to some of the coaches as they play game one. They're going to try to play tomorrow. Rain's in the forecast for tomorrow. Try to play Friday. It's supposed to be really cold. Uh, they do have a contingency plan of maybe playing next Monday if they can't get in baseball tomorrow or on Friday. But good chance to get our eyes on some of the new players of this baseball team. Yeah, yeah, a little little difference kind of nice. You know, we've had – I mean, I'm never going to complain about being in the thick of football season. But, you know, you get – throw just a baseball analogy throw a curveball a little bit go over there and and check them out Uh, yeah it's a good time yeah baseball playoffs on tv so why not have the college guys out doing something so nebraska has that and by the way they will be hosting the kansas jayhawks at haymarket park a week from saturday Uh, you can go get some more information about that at huskers.com if you want to go see will bolt's team play somebody other than themselves they will welcome the Jayhawks for a 12-inning game coming up on the 19th of October. Um, we'll talk about the weather for Saturday. It's forecasted to be mid-30s, mid to upper 30s, fairly windy, some precip, whether it's wet snow, rain, some precip. It's interesting that Nebraska really, Ben, isn't, isn't doing anything special this week. And then I read today that Minnesota – is having having their footballs getting them all wet, kind of trying to put them put them in buckets of ice to make them really hard and cold, and going out and practicing that way. I don't know which is the better way to approach it, but it's drastically different. Ryan Held says, "I don't let my guys wear sleeves. You, you got to be able to feel the football when you grab it." Um, so Nebraska not doing much different to get ready for the game minnesota doing all kinds of things to get ready for the cold weather yeah i think i think the approaches are different and and the way i look at it is one of them is kind of physical training and the other is psychological you know 
if you if you're if you're preparing for that psychologically and knowing this ball's wet, it's going to be hard to catch. It's going to be hard. You're playing some doubt already in your players' minds. You know of, you know, well, it's it's a different game. Like if you're making it a bigger deal than it is, you know, there, there's definitely a psychological factor in my opinion that's going to go into it. You know, and that ball's in the, coming in at you. You're like, oh, is this, is this going to hurt my hands? Is coming in too hard? Uh, you know, like. Uh, but I also understand the physical side too. You know, what does a wet football feel like? What does a cold football feel like? What, what are my hands going to feel like when it's cold? But I'm not so worried about, I mean, I've been hearing that the, the Minnesota players are dumping their hands in, in ice yeah. water. Like the players are going to have gloves on. They're going to have, uh, you know, the hot hands, hand warmers out there. Like there, there's going to be heaters on the sideline. There's going to be other factors that are going to try and neutralize they'll have hand warmers you know those things that they wear with and you know they'll, they'll have those around their waist and i'm sure they'll have you know full of hand warmers back and uh, in, in, in the hand warmers the things that you grab onto to keep your fingers warm like there, there are going to be other measures that you can take in cold football games that can neutralize the the conditions and and so yeah i don't know which which approach is going to be is better uh is right i don't know that either one is necessarily right or wrong but to me the psychology of the deal like if, if you're mentally preparing your guys for you know just just terrible conditions like and it ends up not being a, a big factor those in my opinion those are some some reps in terms of quality that that you're losing you know like that's you could be using a real football or you could be running reps with you know, where your hands aren't aren't frozen or whatever. So, I mean, I don't know how to approach it. I, I don't know that there's a right or wrong way, but two certainly different approaches that the coaches are taking. You know, um, we played two really cold games last year, both at home, Illinois and Michigan State. And I don't know that the weather – I mean, Nebraska put up a bunch of points against Illinois in that game that was really cold. They also um, – against Michigan State, I don't know that it was the weather – is just the fact that it was Sparty's a heck of a defensive team that made that game a 9-6 game. So Nebraska played in two. In those games, the game time temperatures, I may try to dig it out here while we do the show, were in the teens. This is supposed to be 36, 37 degrees. That's that's a big difference from a game time temperature of 18 or something. Well, like the that. other thing about that Michigan State game is really windy. And it's hard that's to right. replicate yeah. the wind. I mean, you can do whatever you want to the football, but, you know, you, you – how are you going to replicate 30 mile an hour winds, you know, and throwing against that? It's, it's really hard to do that. So as much as it was the snow as it was the wind that day, because it was really windy. AJ Bush started that game for Illinois last year against Nebraska and both teams moved the ball pretty well in that game. And it was a lot colder than what it's supposed to be in Minneapolis. I'm not not trying to over, I'm not trying to say it is not going to be, it's going to be miserable up there because we're not used to it. In Mm -hmm. fact, I think I showed you earlier today. It was like it's like 72 in Minneapolis right now. So they're going to go like a, through a 40 degree drop here in the next 72 hours. But I thought it was interesting today as I was seeing all those things on social media about Minnesota having guys stick their hands in ice buckets before they go out and run a pattern. And you're like, that's really not realistic because, as you said, all the wide receivers pretty much wear gloves. The footballs they're going to keep warm on the sidelines. So the footballs are going to be hustled into the game, or they're going to throw it to a ball boy, and he's going to. Put it. In they've the, got bag. They've got these bags that they have with like with like insulated pockets that you put the footballs in. Yeah. So I, I don't. I just think that they're kind of overthinking that a little bit. But um, we're we're hoping to get a, a conversation tomorrow with PJ Fleck, the Minnesota coach. You know, 
like him or not, he's got some results going on up there. They've won seven straight football games. They won their last two last year. Wisconsin to end the year where they took the axe away from the Badgers for the first time in like 15 years. Then they won their bowl game over Georgia Tech, and now they're off to a 5-0 and start. This isn't overly shocking to us because we left Chicago on media days back in mid-July, and we're like, Minnesota's got something happening. They were young last year. Their talent is now getting a little bit older. Their schedule is very conducive for them to get off to a good start, and they have. Now, they've pretty much had one possession games all year long until last week with Illinois, and they were fairly fortunate in some games. But I don't know that I'm shocked that they are 5-0 and going into this game on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, they certainly haven't scored any style points, but people aren't really looking at that. They're looking at the record. Um, you know, cr- climbed into the polls in, in some of the polls, being undefeated. And if they beat Nebraska, they're going to have a great chance to win a couple more. Yeah. Uh, now their next batch of games is pretty tough. I think three of their last four are really difficult after that. Penn State, Iowa, uh, they're going to have some hard games. Northwestern and Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the reason why we, we like them so much. Yeah. Uh, they, they did a great job at the end of last year. Really, ever since the Huskers played them last at Memorial Stadium, they've, they've kind of turned a corner as a program. And we'll see um, kind of how this works with, with them playing some, some difficult teams and coming up here. But, yeah, they've taken advantage of what's, what's been on their schedule, and, and they've won. And I have to imagine they're a pretty confident football team right now. They have some weapons. I mean, Rodney Smith is a sixth-year running back. He got a sixth year of eligibility after being – he's had a couple of knee issues, ran for over 200 against Illinois. Shannon Brooks has been in that program an awful long time. Tyler Johnson is a senior. So a couple of their big playmakers have played a lot of Big Ten football. And you have to kind of tip your cap to a kid who's hung around for six years. Think about that. He would have played in the 14 season. 2014, he was on campus playing college football for the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Here he is in 2019, still a part of that roster. It's pretty pretty amazing stuff for um, for Rodney Smith, who's had a, a really good career. He's in their top ten and their all-time rushing. Tyler Johnson, their top five all-time receiving. These guys can both play. Yeah, they've got weapons. And like we've been talking about this week, and Nate and I talked about it yesterday, it's not very often that you – you worry about a Minnesota offense with weapons. You know, it doesn't seem like all that long ago that it was Mitch Leidner and, you know, the 6'6", 6'7", 240-pound quarterback, and it was just run, run, run between the tackles, and and that was it. Uh, But that's not the case anymore. They've got legit weapons. They have guys that you have to prepare for and, you know, guys that can really hurt you, and Nebraska has seen that firsthand. So, without question, this is going to be a big week for Nebraska's secondary. So, as we're dealing with here on the program tonight, phone lines are open for you, 866-HUSKER-1, 866-487-5371, if you want to sound off on playing football in tough weather. What is the right approach? We may have some folks who are out there, high school coaches, who've played some high school football in some of those chilly playoff games in the month of November. How did you keep yourself warm, and what were some of the challenges of playing in cold weather? We can dive into some of that throughout the program tonight. So, we'll take some calls, and we'll get into a practice report coming up next. All right, uh, time to to, uh, dive into tonight's practice report. Every practice. We're going to work on it every single day until these guys master it. All season long. There's nothing better as an athlete than being part of something that's bigger than just yourself. And I think these guys are starting to feel that and we'll keep building it. It's time for a Husker football practice report on Sports Nightly. 
Brought to you by JTEC Construction. Time to replace your home siding, but not sure where to start? Start with JTEC Construction, the official exterior experts of the Huskers. JTEC specializes in seamless steel siding and always provides free consultations. Well, it was defense day yesterday, and as always the case on Wednesdays, offense day. And so Nebraska offensive coordinator Troy Walters met with members of the media following the workout early this morning. Our own Nate Rohr was on site. Coach Walters addressed how practices have been going with so many injuries on that side of the ball. Excellent. We've had a great week. In fact, today was probably our best Wednesday we've had all year. Um, you know, the guys understand next man up. And the guys understand that you've got to be ready when your number's called. And, and Noah is that type of young man. I mean, he prepares like he's going to be the starter. He prepares like he's going to play every down. And so when his number's called, he's ready to go. And I think with J.D. being limited, you know, some of the other receivers realize, hey, this might be my opportunity. So we've had a great week of practice. Um, guys have really stepped up, seized the moment, seized the opportunity. And I look forward to Saturday night. You sure hope. Greg, and every once in a while this happens, you know, where a guy, the, the light switch comes on in an opportunity like this, especially I'm thinking at, especially at wide receiver right now, you know, the competitiveness in you takes over and, and, and you put aside all the issues that you've been having to this point that have kept you off the field and, you know, something, something flips and you take advantage of it and, the, and, and you know, the, the team really needs you to, to make a big play. Maybe it's Convi Noah or Darian Chase still waiting on the JUCO guys to, to kind of turn it on and, and be a, a steady contributors. But somebody in that room, if J.D. can't go or can only play 20% of the snaps, 30% of the snaps, whatever it is, somebody in that room needs to take over. Husker history is littered with guys who have done just what you said, that when they get their opportunity, they grab it and never let it go. And so, yeah, maybe it is one of those younger wide receivers that steps his game up this week and shows Troy Walters and Scott Frost, I want to be the next really great wide receiver we have. Now here's my opportunity, and go get it. I certainly hope that that happens here this week. Coach Walters a little bit addressed uh, Noah Vedral there when talking about injuries and him preparing as a starter. Do things change with Noah leading the, the quarterback in the offense? No, we, we do what we do. You know, he knows this offense. He knows the system. Uh, he's athletic. Um, and so we're, we're excited. If, he, if, it's, if it's Noah, you know, we feel like we can go into Minnesota and win. If it's, if it's Adrian, you know, whoever the quarterback is, we got to go play our best game and, uh, and go out and try to get a win. Let me run this by you. And, uh, and, I, and I brought this up with Nick Hanley. I was in the studio with him yesterday. Um, what made Adrian – part of what, what made Adrian so special last year was nobody knew anything about him. And, and so, you know, he was working with a blank canvas defensively and every week and could just, you know, go be himself. And it, it was hard to scheme against him. And, and that made him really successful and hard to stop. You know, this week Minnesota is probably going to prepare as though Adrian is the starter. And even if they don't, they don't have a lot on Noah Vedral. So the counter to that for, from Nebraska's standpoint, uh, if you're moving chess pieces, you know, you, you – Maybe there, Adrian and Noah aren't the same guy. So there's something that Noah does either better or differently or, or more efficiently or whatever than Adrian does. That's Nebraska's counterpoint is they're going to prepare for Adrian. What can, what can Noah do well and what part of his game does Adrian not have that we can exploit Minnesota with this Saturday if he is indeed the guy? And maybe it's a particular formation or a package 
um, set of plays, whatever it is that, that maybe he's better at or fits his skill set differently than Adrian that maybe Minnesota isn't going to be ready for. I think that's absolutely in play for this game. And the coaches know the strength of Noah. They, they know Noah the best of any of the quarterbacks because he goes back to their time in Orlando at Central Florida. He knows the playbook better than any quarterback in that room. So I think there are some wrinkles to the offense that have not been used that the coaches know Noah can run really well. I'll throw this out too. If it ends up being Noah, do you put a package or two in just for Luke McCaffrey to come in and do something maybe a little different than what Noah could even do? So there's a lot of possibilities for that. But I think what you laid out there, absolutely that's a possibility for Saturday. So we'll see what the situation is at quarterback. What about at wide receiver coming into this week? Here's Troy Walters. Yeah, this week uh, a lot of a lot of receivers got reps. Um, you know, Darian Chase got reps. Jerron Woodyard got a bunch of reps with the ones. Um, you know, Mike's still getting reps. Cade Warner seems like he's healthy, so he's getting reps. So uh, all hands on deck. Uh, you know, we got to play guys that are healthy, and those guys have had good practices. So um, we'll go with, uh, you know, who's ever healthy. That's who we're going to go with. The last name he addressed there was Cade Warner, who – Sounded like he was close to getting in and re-aggravated an injury um, just just a little while ago and, and maybe stepped back. But Coach Walters talked a little bit further on Cade Warner. Well, he knows the offense. He's reliable, dependable. Uh, you know, over the summer, the quarterbacks really uh, uh, fell in love with just how he runs routes and they, he consistent. They know he's going to be where he's supposed to be. So just gives the quarterback a security blanket out there. And, uh, and he's, a, he's, a, he's a coach on the field. So if guys really don't know where to get lined up, maybe a Darian Chase doesn't know where to get lined up, Cade will definitely help him and, uh, to get lined up. So he's another coach on the field. And, uh, and um, just adds, uh, you know, adds confidence to the quarterbacks. And, uh, you know, if he gets out there, he'll do a great job. I'm remembering twice, maybe three times last year, Cade Warner caught the first pass of the game for Nebraska right out of the chute. Uh, and that just goes to show you not only the trust the quarterbacks have in him, but the coaches have in him as well. It would be huge if he could find a way to get healthy and get out there on the field. He's not going to have any of those 80-yard burner catches, but he's going to be where he's supposed to be. Coach Frost wants to address the unknowns of a quarterback. Of You won't need to know. It's not going to be an unknown if Cade Warner knows where to go and what route he's running. Also a pretty good blocker. Played, he's played once this year. That was the Ohio State game a couple weeks ago and then was back out on the shelf this past weekend. I, I'm, for, for Cade, I'm, I'm excited. I hope he is healthy enough to help this team out. This has been a new phenomenon for coaches, specifically on the offensive side of the ball. Coach Frost, Coach Walters, Ryan Held, et cetera, not scoring points but still having to win games when you're not scoring points, i.e. Michigan State last year at 9-6, to 13-10 with Northwestern. What's it like as the offensive coordinator when you're having those, these difficulties scoring points but still having to find ways to, to win games? Yeah, a little frustrating. Frustrating. Our job is to score points. Um, but it's also encouraging that if we do have – we don't live up to our expectations. Defense is good enough to, to win us games. And Coach Chenander and that defensive staff is doing a, they're doing a tremendous job over there. And, and it gives us comfort and confidence to know that, hey, we can win a, a low-scoring game. But uh, our standards are scoring points. And, and, and uh, to score 13, that was a good Northwestern defense, solid. Uh, we faced another good defense in Minnesota. So, uh, you know, we got to prepare and, and uh, try to go out there and, and score. It's going to probably take more than 13 points this week. Do you think these offensive coaches are a little little shocked at how how good these defenses actually are and how you know you can't just come out here roll out your scheme and expect to score 50 on everybody? I don't know how they couldn't be 
because it, it came so easy for them at UCF. But I think it's is it's it's still FBS football, yes, but the Big Ten is a big, strong physical league with terrific coaching at every turn. And I don't think the I don't think we have the roster quite set to where we want it to be. So yeah, but yeah, I think they've been rocked a little bit. I mean, I, Scott Frost mentioned it Monday in the press conference. You can't believe that he's winning games thirteen to ten and nine to six. But we that we have we won two of those games in the last year. Do you think it's a situation where that's going to become more of the norm, where Nebraska does win that, or you know, the more tape you have on a PJ Fleck defense, the more recruiting classes you get, is it going to trend more towards Nebraska scoring twenty eight, thirty one, thirty four, thirty seven points against people? I would think so. I would think you, when you get more of your personnel, you want to run this offense. It'll it'll pick back up. Heck, it could be big. It could be. I kind of think it's going to be a medium scoring type game, twenty one seventeen type thing. But it could be thirty one twenty eight on Saturday night. It wouldn't. That wouldn't shock me if that happens. Well, and and to answer my own question, I'm thinking back to. I mean, Coach Frost has seen those great defenses before at Oregon with Stanford, Washington, UCF, Temple. Typically has yep. has a good defense. You know, there are there are good comparable teams to where he's been that we've still seen success so um hopefully that makes things a little easier um you know as as the years go on what about the weather we, we addressed it already uh but here's here's from the the mouth of troy walters of of what they're doing or what they're not doing in preparation for the weather on saturday in minneapolis none none uh we told him monday that uh it's going to be cold possibly snowing it's a mindset and to, and to get ready for that and if anything else changes, if it's better conditions, then we're good to go. But uh, we're prepping for, a, you know, a, a cold day, a snowy day, a, uh, you know, a tough day. And, and we're not going to make any excuses. And, you know, we went outside, but it's been fairly nice here in Lincoln. So there's not much you can do. Uh, I think today they're going to get in a cold tub for about 15, 20 minutes and, and uh, just simulate cold. But our guys are tough. And, you know, we played Michigan State last year in, in those type conditions. So if it comes to that, we'll be ready to go. And I think the one the one word that he used there to kind of further my point of the of the psychology in the deal is it's a mindset. You know, if you're planning that in your players' minds that it's going to be miserable and the ball's going to be slick, the ball's going to be hard. Uh, it's kind of a built-in excuse, and and your players are maybe expecting things to be a little more difficult. So, I mean, I, I'm not a psychology major. I don't have any experience in that. But to me, you know, if if you're saying that's what's going to happen. There's going to be it's going to be in your mind as Talk a player. Talk yourself into it. Yeah, coldest game for you on the sidelines been what? Uh, if I remember right, the Illinois game there was some sunshine. Yeah, the, the, it was at least sunny. Which kind of tricked you a little bit. Honestly, and, and and I don't even know that the temperature was that bad. But the worst game for the sideline was Penn State. Up it was there. raining. It was rainy. Yeah. It was just kind of sleety. It was it was cold enough to where it was uncomfortable. Yeah. We're getting our butts whooped. I mean, there was just there was nothing fun about that. Last time you were in Minneapolis, you had a guy try to buy your jacket. Yeah, that was cold. That that in terms of temperature, that might be the coldest. That was really cold. I'm gonna look that up, see what that one was yeah. at kick time. And that was that wasn't a particularly fun game either. No, that was not. As we like to do each and every week, chance to take a little spin around the conference. We call this the Big Ten Blitz. The Big Ten Blitz. Maryland. And here to talk about the Terps is Jeff Herman. Jeff joins us a couple times during the year. Maryland coming off of a whipping of Rutgers last week, 48-7. to That had to feel pretty good for the Terps, I would guess, Jeff. 
especially after the previous two weeks. Obviously, the disappointing loss at Temple and then that complete thrashing at home against Penn State. They, they needed a get-well kind of game. So in that respect, they were actually pretty fortunate to have Rutgers on the schedule right there. Give us the update on the, on the health of Josh Jackson. I know he was gimpy as that game ended last week. Yeah, he's out with a high ankle sprain. Uh, sounds like it's day-to-day, so you know he, he won't be out for too long, most likely, but he won't start this week or play most likely this week. Uh, Tyrell Pigram, the backup quarterback who finished out the Rutgers game, will be their starter. Big game this week. Let's shift to that. They go to Purdue for a game uh, in West Lafayette. And if you're Maryland and you're trying to count wins and get yourself to six for postseason play, this would appear to be one that, that Maryland will, will need to get, correct? Absolutely. This is one when you look at the schedule. They're in, they're entering a stretch now of swing games that they really need to get if they have any chance of getting the six. So this is a must win for that for those purposes. All right, break it down for us. What, what will be some of the keys on Saturday for the Terps? Well, I think the offensive line is something to watch. You know, it's really struggled the past few weeks. They've been hit by a lot of injuries on what was already a shaky offensive line. Uh, they're starting to get a few guys back now, which should help, but that's a big question mark, the offensive line. Uh, you know, Rutgers defense hasn't, or excuse me, Purdue's defense hasn't been great, um, but, you know, Maryland's offense also hasn't been that good with the exception of, you know, the overmatched opponents that it's beaten in those three games. So, you know, will we see the Maryland and offense that's put up a lot of points in those wins are the ones that was the one that was completely absent against Penn State and quiet against Temple. And then obviously the other big thing is Pigram. How will he play as a starter? You know, he started this is the third time, third year of his career in which he's come in and started for an injured quarterback. So he's got the experience. He looked uh, he looks better this year, but again that was against a really poor uh, Rutgers team. So, you know, which what version of him will we see? You know, you kind of this out laid it out there, Jeff. I, I'm having a hard time getting a handle on Maryland because I did not expect the lopsided score against Syracuse. I didn't expect them to be shut down by Temple. I didn't certainly didn't expect them to get shut out by Penn State. I, I guess, and maybe even the coaching staffs having a hard time kind of nailing down what they've got. Yeah, it is. It's hard to really get, get a true. Um, feel for how good they are just because it's been such a disparity between the wins and the losses and the caliber of opponents in those games. I think this next next stretch will give us a better idea, though. You know, you, you, you know they'll be the underdog late in the season when they're playing those Michigan-Ohio State and Michigan State games, but, you know, in order, if you're going to be a bowl team, you, have, you absolutely have to beat teams like Purdue, especially with their injuries in Indiana after that, so... It, it, it is hard to say because you know, the stats look good on paper, but a lot of the stats were piled up in those big wins against Howard and Syracuse and now Rutgers. So uh, this, this, you know, being on the road as well should give maybe a little bit better of a feeling of, of what they've got going. Maryland's at Purdue, 11 o'clock Central on BTN. Jeff Ehrman from 24-7 joined us. Jeff, we appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, sir. Iowa. And here to talk about the Hawkeyes, Mark Morehouse of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Iowa coming up short last week in, in Ann Arbor, 10-3. to Nate Stanley seemed off, Mark, in that game. What was your evaluation of the offense and his play in particular? Well, he really couldn't set his feet. Uh, there was pressure. There was pressure all over the place. Um, there was some, Iowa lost some one-on-one matchups. There was a lot of blitzing. Don Brown called a, a brilliant game. 
And then uh, Stanley didn't really manage the pocket very well, and he did. He admitted to hanging on the ball too much, maybe a little, uh, little too long in a few instances. But uh, I think the whole offense—I mean, one yard rushing and eight sacks—they're—they're, uh, you know, under Brian Ferentz, this is his uh, fourth year, I believe, as coordinator, and it seems like it's an all-or-nothing proposition uh, against ranked teams. You know, you have the game in 2017 against Ohio State. 55 points, 500 and something yards, and then you have game like last week, one yard rushing, I think 260 total yards. That's got to be aggravating for fans, but uh, Iowa, you know, the Big Ten provides opportunity, and hey, it's number 10 Penn State this week, so Iowa has a chance to kind of wash that off. Yeah, okay, so now break, break down for us the, the, the differences that the Hawkeyes will see defensively from Penn State than, than what they did from from Ann Arbor because statistically Penn State might be even a shade better than Michigan defensively. I agree. You look at the, you look at some of the, you look at the sack numbers. I mean, you just go right there. I think 25 sacks this year already for Penn State. I think they're trying for their sixth straight year with 40 plus sacks. That boggles my mind. They have so much artillery in the front, uh, on the, in the front four. And I think that's kind of where maybe the difference is between Michigan and Penn State. Uh, Penn State is a little more active. I think their offensive or their defensive line is probably NFL ready. A few of those guys. Um, Michigan probably better on the back end. Just and, and Iowa ended up having to, you know, they were down 10-3 early in the first quarter, maybe midway through the first quarter, and that just hung on the scoreboard. And you could see the the desperation kind of set in on Iowa in the second quarter. They they called seven straight pass plays. That's not Iowa. And then in the fourth quarter, I think it was uh, 20 of the last 22 plays were pass plays. That's really not Iowa. Uh, Stanley ended up throwing the last – he almost got sacked on the last play and uh, he ended up throwing the ball left-handed. Uh, Michigan made Iowa literally play left-handed. But beyond, I, I think Penn State definitely probably – definitely better in the front four than Michigan. And Iowa has – you know, Iowa's pass protection is based on uh, their belief in that their guys can win one-on-one matchups. That's going to be tested this week. Give give our audience a little history of the series between Iowa and Penn State. There have just been some, to me, seems like just some tremendous football games down through the years. I agree, and I, I think Kirk Ferentz mainly mainly made his bones on beating Michigan and Penn State. Uh, that swung the other way. I think I was. Uh, oh, I, I know Penn, uh, James Franklin at Penn State. Yeah, he's three zero against the Hawkeyes. Iowa hasn't beaten Penn State since twenty ten. I think that was Joe Paterno's last year. Uh, it's a good rivalry. Iowa had a, Iowa and Ferentz had the upper hand early in Ferentz's career. It's start, starting to kind of even out and go back toward Penn State. A lot of that is James Franklin. Uh, my favorite game in this series was uh, 2017, which ended up being basically a, a game of a hide and seek between Saquon Barkley. One of the that night at Kansas Stadium, I think he had 300 total yards. It was uh, it was mind boggling. And then, but basically, a game of hide and seek between him and Josie Jewell. I was fine linebackers, not with the Broncos. Uh, Saquon won that. It came down. The last two games have come down to the last possession. I expect Saturday will be the same. If you look at Penn State, uh, they their schedule has been ragged. Uh, I think you could probably say their best win is Pitt. Uh, it was 17-10. to 10. It was kind of a grueling sort of a, a tug of war. That's what Iowa needs to have happen this week. If it ends up, uh, uh, if, if, if Penn State can get to its speed game, if it can get the ball to K.J. Hamler, who I think is uh, Rondale Moore, basically East, uh, that'll be trouble for the Hawkeyes. I think... I think Iowa can muddy this up, can, you know, maybe control the game with time or uh, possession, but, you know, it all remains to be seen. 
Night games at Kinnick, always special. This one should be as well as the Hawkeyes host Penn State, 630 on ABC. Mark Morehouse of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. As always, great stuff. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Greg. Wisconsin. And here to talk to us about the Badgers, Jesse Temple, the athletic. Wisconsin, a 48 nothing win over Kent State. It was the Jonathan Taylor show last week. Five touchdowns and just over a half of work. How much Heisman talk is starting to happen around him up in Madison? I think an awful lot. I'm one of the people who has a Heisman Trophy vote, and every week at The Athletic we do a mock vote, so we pick the top three just like they would at the end of the season. And for the first time this week, I put Jonathan Taylor number one. Now, obviously, I've had the opportunity to watch him throughout his whole career, but the more I watch him, the more I think, yeah, some of these quarterbacks are putting up unbelievable numbers, but how many running backs put up the numbers that he's putting up? He's got 16 total touchdowns through five games. That's the most by an FBS player through five games since Texas running back Ricky Williams had 20 in 1998. And oh, by the way, that was the year in which Ricky Williams won the Heisman Trophy. So certainly is in the conversation. Um, and I think he's going to give himself a chance if he continues to perform like this. Interesting comparison because that, that's, that's pretty good. I think there's a lot of similarities between his game and Ricky Williams' game. Speaking of quarterbacks, give me a great card for Jack Cohn through five games this season. I'd have to go with B+. A minus, maybe that's a little high, but he's done what he's needed to do. And the one thing that he's done that's different from what we've seen the past few years is he has limited turnovers. He's only thrown one interception on 114 passes. The last two years, Alex Hornibrook threw 26 interceptions, and he had a lot of team success. But that put the defense in some difficult spots. I think Jack has shown that he can distribute the ball well to multiple players. He threw for 363 yards in a game earlier this season against Central Michigan. The one question is what happens when Wisconsin plays the type of defense that can shut down that rushing attack and make Wisconsin win through the air. We're still waiting to see that. Jack hasn't thrown the ball a ton in some of these recent games. He didn't need to against Michigan earlier this season. But I think he's done a nice job, and he's completing 74.6% of his passes. That's sixth in the FBS, so he's done what he's needed to do. And probably that that scenario you laid out, do you imagine, don't you think, Michigan State tries to put the game into his hands? Yeah, I would have to think so. Now, that is the plan for every team going in, and a lot of teams prove to be unsuccessful in that area. But Michigan State has a very sound defense. They're in the top 25 in the country in total defense and scoring defense. Collectively, they've got 48 tackles for loss and 19 sacks. So they certainly know how to get after the quarterback and know how to stop the run. And I would think that this will be the most substantial challenge Wisconsin has faced to this point of the season. What kind of history is there between these two schools, Jesse? Well, for a while, they had a really nice rivalry going, but they don't play every yeah. year now, obviously, with the East-West Divisional split they last played three years ago. So I think that makes it a little tougher because players come and go. And so the game that happened three years ago really has almost new players across the board, unless you're a senior or a fifth-year senior. But, you know, a decade ago or so, eight, nine years ago, this was a fabulous rivalry. And one of the best games I've ever seen was in 2011 when Michigan State won 37-31 on that Kirk Cousins Hail Mary at the buzzer. So um, they're, they're good teams, and I think that's why it's been such an interesting matchup every year. Give me uh, your kind of thoughts on how this thing will play out on Saturday. Well, I expect Wisconsin to win. It just feels to me like there's a special season brewing here. I don't know what that will actually mean. Wisconsin's got to play at Ohio State in a few weeks, which will determine a lot there, too. But 
I think Wisconsin's defense is the real deal at this point. I know they've had three shutouts against three non-conference foes that you would consider to be lesser opponents. But still, they've gone out and done it. That's, this is the first time Wisconsin's had three shutouts in the season since 1937. They've got uh, the number one defense in the country in most major statistical categories. And I'm working on a story, actually, about whether this could be the best combination of offense and defense Wisconsin has had in the same season in school history. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the best offense ever. I think that 2011 team that had Russell Wilson will be the number one offense for quite some time. But when you combine what the offense is doing, what is doing, I think I think they've got a legitimate case there. So I, I think the Badgers will win, but it's certainly going to be the toughest challenge to date. That'll be a fascinating read when you get that put together. The Badgers host Michigan State Saturday, 2.30 on BTN. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. Jesse, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks very much. Take care. Jesse and all of our contributors, join us on our Sports Only Hotline, brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Really good matchups this weekend. Michigan State of Wisconsin, that Penn State-Iowa game on Saturday night. Should be a lot of fun. Right now, let's buy or sell. It's time to buy or sell. Buy sell is brought to you by Famous Dave's, your perfect catering choice for business lunches, meetings, weddings, parties, and more. Treat your guests to authentic smoked daily barbecue, made from scratch sides, and award-winning desserts. Famous Dave's, we do catering right here. Here's the hosts of Buy or Sell, Brett Whitty and Josh Hilkeman. Well, Gary, you said it's been a couple of weeks since we last played. It's actually been four weeks. Ooh. Last time we played, Tim Curran was with us, and we it was the first time that he had been on the air. Uh, that was his first day back with us. So, wow. there you go. Four weeks, huh? Four weeks. So we brought the A-team in tonight. I guess. That's what you call me and Brett, then sure. <laughs> Hi, Brett. Hey there. <laughs> Welcome to the broadcast. Brett's had a good night so far. It's been a fun night. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of fun, let's jump into the answers from, well, both last, the last time we played four weeks ago and some other future questions. The first answer that we have was a Husker football future question that was asked on June 19th of this year, and it was asked by ourselves that Nebraska would allow 42 points or fewer in non-conference play. The answer was a sell. The black shirts allowed 60 points in non-conference play. Greg, you bought it and were incorrect. Ben, you were right with a sell, though. Colorado was the one I was worried about. Yep. All right, uh, moving on, another Husker football future question. This one was asked on June 26th by Ursel that Nebraska would be ranked in the AP or coaches top 15 poll at any point before the end of September. That ended up being a sell. The highest they were ranked was number 24 in the preseason AP. Uh, Greg, you bought that and were incorrect. Ben, you sold it and you were correct. Hmm. I wish I was wrong on that one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I was. All right, I drank the Kool-Aid. Sorry, it, sorry well, everyone. If the Huskers had beat Colorado, and mm-hmm. I, it would have been interesting to see where they were at going into the Ohio State game. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, they, they would have, was the number 15? Yeah, they, they had to be in the top 15. Yeah, so. ben, ben, your guess was 18th, and uh, Greg, you guessed right at 15. So, I mean, yeah, it wouldn't have been inconceivable for them to climb up after beating Colorado and going into Ohio State, but... All right, moving on to uh, the last time we played, another Husker football question. Buyer saw that Nebraska would have 
at least one 100-yard rusher and at least one 100-yard receiver in their next two games. Those games were against Northern Illinois and Illinois. The answer was a bye, as Diedrich Mills had 116 yards on the ground against Northern Illinois, and Adrian Martinez had 118 yards rushing against Illinois. So two guys over 100 on the ground, and J.D. Spielman had 160 through the air against Illinois. So both of those things happened. It was a bye. You guys both bought it, and you were both right. Sweet. Nice. Good work. All right, sticking with Husker football by ourselves that Nebraska would total at least eight sacks or force at least six turnovers in those two games, Northern Illinois and Illinois. Uh, you, uh, it ended up being a sell. We only had five sacks and three turnovers in those two games. Greg, you sold that and got it right. Ben, you were incorrect with a buy. So you were one off in sacks and one off in turnovers? No, three, three and three. three in sacks. Oh. Three. Yeah, it was yeah. supposed to be eight and six, and it was five and three. So. Gotcha. Not there's quite. There's ways off. Yeah. Pretty far off. Moving on to Husker Volleyball. By herself, Nebraska would sweep all three match- matches in the Emeritus Players Challenge. That ended up being a sell. The Huskers swept their first two matches, but it took four sets to beat Loyola Marymount. So it was a sell. You guys both believed in the Huskers and bought it, but you were both wrong. Yeah, that was surprising that, yeah. they, that they dropped that one. It was surprising. I think... Marymount's better than than we even. Well, thought. and it was wasn't this. It was like a thirty something to. Well, yes, yeah, exactly. I think it was thirty to twenty eight. Yeah, right. thirty to twenty eight. Well, that was that. You'll remember our our colleague Matt Cotney was calling that match, and he was he was trying to get over to the stadium to do some football uh, broadcasting, and he was he was not happy with the length of that match. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he made it. He did. Yeah. All right, uh, sticking with Husker Volleyball by ourselves, that the Nebraska-Stanford match would be decided by five points or fewer. That ended up being a big sell. Stanford was plus 18 in that four-set uh, loss for the Huskers. Ben, you sold that and got it right. Greg, Greg you were incorrect with the buy. God, I just I, I bought everything Nebraska. I just <laughs> I got to take off the purple glasses. Yeah, the red, the red glasses. Yeah. The one, or, the, yeah, put on some purple or something. I didn't expect it to be that that big of a Ooh, margin. Yeah. No, yeah. The one Husker thing you have sold so far was the, the sacks <laughs> and turnovers, and you got it right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, you yeah, go. there you go. All right, moving on to college football with our next question or answer by ourselves that Purdue and Iowa would both win or lose on Saturday, September 14th. That ended up being a sell. Iowa won by one point over Iowa State. Purdue lost by 21 points to TCU, so it was a win and a loss, which meant a sell. You guys both sold it, and you were both right. Hmm. Man, well, that one that game was crazy. That yeah, Iowa, all the weather delays, and yeah, just it took the the juice out of the stadium, and it had it to. Have, I think, it, and I, Josh and I were talking about this earlier today. That, that affected Iowa State a lot yeah. more because they were the ones that could have benefited from a really oh, yeah. raucous crowd. And when you keep stopping the game, it just takes it out of the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, another college football answer here by ourselves that there would be at least 70 points scored in the Houston-Washington State game played on September 14th, and at least 27 points will be scored by each team. That ended up being a sell. There were only 55 points scored between the two, and uh, although Washington State got over the 27 points, Houston only ended up with 24. So a sell there. You guys were both buyers and both incorrect. Yeah, that game was crazy. That first half, there was no scoring. No yeah. scoring. Everyone's whatsoever. like, what the heck's going on? Yeah, they tried They tried to turn up the offense a little bit in the second half, but it wasn't nearly enough. And then so. Houston had two players quit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, and they how did. about like a week later, Washington State, Tracy Clays quit as their defensive coordinator yeah. a couple weeks after Weird. that. Crazy. Yeah. Well, well, then did you see his tweet that he put out? I mean, he put out some tweet that yeah. it was. 
you know, all the reasons for it. That was kind of odd. It was very odd. Yep. Okay, moving on. One more college football answer here by Ursel that a team would be held to 10 points or fewer in the Michigan-Wisconsin, Auburn-Texas A&M, and Notre Dame-Georgia games that were played on September 21st. The answer was a sell because Michigan had the fewest, but they had 14, so they were over... All the teams scored over 10 points, and it was a sell. You guys both sold it, and you were both correct. So Michigan got that late touchdown to, yeah. get, to clear it. Yeah, they did. I, you're exactly right. Were any, so the, they were the closest, you said? So no yes. one else was really No one close. was really close. Georgia played really well. Yeah. Everybody else had at least 17. So. All right, moving on to a little NFL here by our sell at Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray. We combined for at least 1,200 yards passing and rushing over their next two games. A question asked on September 11th. That ended up being a bye. They totaled 1,300 total yards. Murray with 595. Lamar Jackson with 705. But you guys uh, both sold that and were both incorrect. I, I still thought that would have been a sell. I mean, the way that Kyler was playing there right. for a while. Lamar Jackson did did a lot of the legwork there. Yep. He had a, I think he, there was one of the games he had 120 yards rushing, so <laughs> literally did a, a lot of the legwork. They're having a horrible week here. Horrible. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to another NFL question by ourselves that the Patriots would be plus 42 or better in their next two games against the Dolphins and the Jets. They were mm. at least plus 42 better. They were plus 59. They beat the Dolphins 43 to nothing and then beat the Jets 30 to 14. So it was a bye. Greg, you got this one right. Ben wrong with a sell. No idea what the heck I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, what were you? <laughs> I, I mean, that, 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 what that is right there is I stole the pass, I drove down, and I missed the layup. Yep. And, and I've done that before in real life, too. So yep. I guess, I guess the, that's a good visual. I'm consistent. Good visual. Yeah, I think that one was despite the Patriots more than anything. Yeah, yeah. I, it was probably because Tim was here and you were like, nope. Oh, yeah. If yeah. Tim was here, that was 100% the reason. Yeah, yep. there, no strategy, just <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, let's wrap up uh, this last week's answers uh, with an MLB future question by sell that at least five teams would reach 100 regular season wins. That ended up being a sell. Four teams did get 100 wins, the Yankees, Twins, Astros, and Dodgers. Uh, but uh, they did not have another. There were two with 97 wins, the A's and the Braves, but ended up being a sell, and you guys were both correct with that sell. Yeah, they got close. It was hard to – I remember putting that one math together. It was hard to mm-hmm. find a way for them to get yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, it was hard, but did not happen. You guys were both right. So on the week, Greg, you were 6 of 12, Ben 7 of 12. So then you I mean, add – really not great week for either of us. No, you were – and it's it's been a kind of a rough start to the season. Uh, <laughs> ben, you're up 17 to 13, but the percentages aren't great. No. Greg, Greg you're 13 of 29, so 44.8%. Been 17 of 29, 58.6%. So. I got to turn into a hater. That's what you guys <laughs> I, have just told me. I guess. Every time I pick something for the Huskers, well, I lose. <laughs> we'll, we'll, yep, we'll see how that strategy works out here with, the, with these questions. You're wearing so. a Husker hoodie, so we'll see how this works out. <laughs> Let's jump into this week's questions, and we start with Husker football. Sell. Oh, all right. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Buy or sell that there are at least 175 more passing yards than rushing yards combined between Nebraska and Minnesota on Saturday. So this one's not even really a Husker question. It's more of a, a neutral. 175 more passing yards than rushing yards between the two teams. So when you add up Minnesota and Nebraska's passing yards, is it 175 more yards than they're rushing? It's a team effort between the Gophs and the Huskers. So, all right. The weather has me worried on this one. Yeah. 
175. More passing yards than rushing yards. Um, I'm going to sell it. Here's okay. why the weather yep. has me concerned. And also, uh, if Adrian can't go, what's going to be the pass-run ratio for the Huskers? Right. All right. It's sticking with a little Husker football buyer sell that the winning team in that Nebraska-Minnesota matchup trails by at least eight points at any time in the game. Yeah, I'll buy that. I don't know who it's going to be, but... I mean, it's basically just two possessions. Mm-hmm. Sell. Great selling. <laughs> Let's move. I, I hope you go. I hope you go. This 100%. is good. I mean, I, I need I Greg to play this game on tilt. <laughs> yes. <laughs> good point. It's kind of like your your answer your answer with the uh, Patriots question. Yeah. It's like or any you, question relative to Kemba Walker. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We we find we find a little bit of a, a weak spot in Ricky your guys' Fowler. game. And yeah. We attack it. This one we didn't know about, but anyway. <laughs> this one we didn't know about. Uh, Husker Volleyball with our next question. By ourselves that Nebraska totals at least seven aces in their next two matches as they face Michigan State on Friday and Michigan Sunday. Sell. Seven, seven aces. All right. Yeah, this is a clear-cut one for you, Greg. Sell. So, got it. I'll drink the Kool-Aid this time. I'll buy it. <laughs> they, did, they did have zero in that Wisconsin matchup, which was, well, which was an outlier yeah, for sure. that was an outlier. So. Yeah. How about they hit over 300 in that thing? Oh, yeah. 330 something? Crazy. Was it 338? Yes. yes. The stats for that will hurt First, your head if you look at our loss. First time in John Cook's history as a head coach that they lost when hitting over 300. That's nuts. All right, uh, moving on to a little Husker baseball action here by our soul that the winning team tomorrow scores at least three more runs than the losing team or it finishes in a tie. <laughs> Which it did today. Yeah, like they did today. All right, let's 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 clarify this. There is rain in the forecast tomorrow, so should <laughs> oh, it just yes. be game two? It's game two, yes. Game two of the red-white. And if none of the rest of the red-white series is played, then we will just Award cancel ratchet. this question. Points for everyone. <laughs> They've already talked about moving it to Monday. All right, well, yeah, if it, whenever game well, yeah, two whenever is played. Well, yeah, whenever it's played, yeah. So either ends in a tie or what? Or the winning team scores at least three, three more runs than the losing team. Who's pitching tomorrow, man? I have no idea. <laughs> oh, God, come on. I know who's not pitching tomorrow. <laughs> and it will be a f- five-inning game like it was today. I'm going to sell that. I think All it's right. going to be within so three two or runs. one. Yeah. yeah. All right. Ben is selling. All right. But if it's in a tie, I'm going to be pretty bitter. (laughs) (laughs) I got to be different on you with something, so I'll buy it. I mean, you've been different on the last three now, so. I like it. That's good. I like it. Moving on to college football with our next question. Buy or sell that there are at least 85 points scored between the Michigan State-Wisconsin and Penn State-Iowa games couple of matchups that we previewed in the Big Ten Blitz earlier tonight. It's too high. I'll sell. Bad weather both places. I'll sell. What were the numbers again? 85 between the two games. So 42 and a half mm. per game. So those are four really good defenses. Yeah. 21 and a quarter per team. I don't I think that's a little too high as well. Mm-hmm. I'm going to agree. 
So right. I'm selling? You're selling, yeah. correct. Copy. Ben's playing with the lead already. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm going to copy. What Greg do again? Co oh. Copycat. Okay. <laughs> copycat the rest of the season. <laughs> for a fun season, if that's the case. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on Can a little. Can you imagine? <laughs> already. I, I think we would catch on after a few weeks and make you, make you go <laughs> yeah, first on most questions. <laughs> All right, moving on a little a more college football here by ourselves at quarterbacks total at least 700 yards in the Texas-Oklahoma game on Saturday. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> that's, that's a buy, then. That's a buy. Okay. Right. Ben, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like the Kool-Aid, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't go different on this one. I'm buying this, too. All right, very good. One more college football question by ourselves at Alabama and Clemson both win by at least 10 points this week. They played Texas A&M and Florida State, respectively. That they both win by 10? Yeah, they both have to win by at least 10 points. 10 points or more. So at 10, they're safe. Yes. Okay. Uh, it's me, it's me. A lot, Hold yeah, on. I, I, yeah, calm down, man. I already have my answer in my head, so. <laughs> Good. Um, yeah, I'm going to buy that. Buy it. <laughs> Jeez, Brett. <laughs> Jeez. Jumping all over me in here. I'm sorry, Greg. I wanted to say it as quick as possible, so I didn't. So you guys are both buying it. All yes, right. got it. All right, let's uh let's rein it in here with an NFL future question yeah. by ourselves that the winner of the Redskins Dolphins game finishes with at least three wins in the regular season. <laughs> so two more after. What is there a line out on? It's, the Redskins got to be <laughs> favored by what? Four, three or four? Let's let's look I'm it up. Looking it up right now. Yeah. Yeah. Pull Bill it Callahan. Uh, let's see. see. Three and a half for Washington. Okay. You were right okay. on the money. So the winner gets to three. Uh, yes. I'm going to go ahead and assume the Redskins are going to win because it's hard for me to sit here with a straight face to <laughs> think the Dolphins are going to win anything. True. <laughs> so will they get two more the uh, rest of the season? Should we start pulling up schedules? Yeah, I might because they get they get to play the Giants. They might they might get one from them. Yeah, they also play the Jets and the Lions. Lions, Lions aren't, aren't bad. terrible. Panthers. Jets are awful. Darnold back from Mono though. Uh, good for them. <laughs> uh, man, <laughs> you see two wins there. I don't know that I see it. They do put. <laughs> I, they do play the Bengals. There you go. Or was that in pre? I might have said that wrong. Yeah, yeah that was preseason. Yeah, they don't play the Bengals. No. Nope. All Sorry. right. Um, the Jets is a winnable game. Yeah, Jets are on Jets four. is the one. Maybe two. You're gonna have to steal another one if you're the Redskins. Yeah, I mean, but that's the thing. You pick up momentum from a win over a terrible team in the Dolphins. No, and you it's start not gonna happen. All right. I'm what gonna if, sell. What if they tie it? They tying it. Yeah. <laughs> What's that, Greg? He's I'm buying it. it. You're buying it. All right. Yep. So, They'll get the three. So they've got, for those curious, they've got the Dolphins. So you're saying there's one. Yeah. Niners, nope. At Minnesota, nope. At Buffalo, nope. Jets, maybe. Maybe. Lions, maybe. Where's the Lions game at? D.C.? D.C. Yeah, D.C. Yeah, they have a shot. Um, at Carolina, nope. nope. At Green Bay, nope. Nope. Philly, nope. Nope. Giants, maybe, maybe, at Cowboys. Yeah, they'll get the three. There's four maybe. The NFL, in there. they'll beat somebody. That's true. It is the NFL, and 
The only thing is, is and, and once you win that game, then you've already won a game, so you're not playing, you're not tanking. Yeah. They're not so. They're not nearly as inept as the Dolphins right. or the Jets. What if the Dolphins win this week? Then you're hosed. Yeah, yeah, I'm hosed. Whoa. Yeah, that's that's the uh, <laughs> that's, that's the hosed. scenario you did not think of, Greg. Whoa. Weren't they? They played the Patriots pretty well for a half. <laughs> and then they lost 43 to nothing. They yeah, they hung in there. They hung they, in there for a half. They're good for the Dolphins. <laughs> Pat yourself oh, on the back, man. Dolphin fan. Okay. No, I'm talking about the skins did. Oh, I thought you meant the Dolphins. <laughs> Wasn't it like 12 7 Patriots uh, at the half, and then the uh, Patriots put it They won like second. 33 to 7. Right, but they hung in there. Yes, half. yeah, you're right. We were, we were thinking the wrong game. Yes, it was 13 7. Uh, let's move on to Major League Ball playoffs here. Buy or sell that a pitcher totals 12 or more strikeouts in a game between tomorrow and the end of play next Tuesday. If it's if it's gonna happen, it might be cold tomorrow against the Rays. Twelve's a lot, though. Yep. Um, I'm gonna sell that. That's, okay. That does seem like a lot in a playoff thing where they're more likely to pull guys after five. Well, and here's thing. the thing: a lot of the the studs have had to pitch on short rest right. on five game series. Right. Mm-hmm. So Cole won't even main, probably won't pitch by next Tuesday. And, and well, and, and by no? what happens if for no. some reason the Rays win? Right. Whoa. There's three. There's Verlander, yeah. Granke, and Cole off the Gone. shelf. I'm going to sell it. All right. All right. Very good. All right. Sticking with MLB, but a future question here by or sell that there are at least 14 home runs hit in the ALCS and NLCS combined. Sure. I'll buy it. All right. It's the year of the homer. Yeah. It I don't is. know how you can not. strikeout. Yeah. You're buying. Bye. All right. Very good. We wrap things up with an NHL future question by Arcel that a team in the NHL wins at least 59 regular season games. Oh, man. Last year, the Lightning, Ben's Lightning, led the way with 62. How'd they do in the playoffs? Oh, Psst. man. Psst. Easy, Brett. Oh, burn. There's just a fact-finding question. What, <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, 59. <laughs> Is there a great team this year in the NHL? Who knows? I'm going to sell that. I've watched zero minutes of NHL. I'm going to buy it, and for a bonus point, it's going to be the Lightning. There you go. They're even better this year than they were last year. Really? Yeah. It's coming at you, Brett, with that one. I like it. All right. see how they do in the playoffs. There it is. Okay. Yeah, i got to be better than last week. I mean, you were only one point worse than I was. I was a Husker homer, and I got killed for it. You were only one point worse than I was. Got to quit picking the Huskers in these things. Man. Playoffs are going on for baseball, so we have not forgotten about our Major League Baseball Insider. His voice will sound familiar. And that ball's gone. Bye-bye baseball. His knowledge is endless. He looked so fast. It was unbelievable. He's our Major League Baseball Insider. Just ate a brownie, so I'm ready to go. Lane Grindle. Here's Lane! And from his palatial home outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, probably in sweatpants and all, how you doing? So that was about me. I, I was listening, and I was like, wait, I'm not on the sidelines. <laughs> Why is he throwing it to me? <laughs> People still think you do the sidelines. You do realize that, don't you? I, look, the, the best story, and, and, and it's not as far removed from when I had left as, as it is now, but um, last year I came back and did, a, did an event uh, in Lincoln, and I had a handful of people, you know, ask me about how things were in Lincoln. And I'm like, well, I've been gone for three years, but that's cool. Um, I had been gone for two years, and I was doing uh, – you and I both, we kind of doubled up Scott's first recruiting dinner night because 
they did two events, and so you did the one in Lincoln, and I came back and did the one in Omaha. And I'd been gone for two years, and Crouch walks in, and he's like, hey, Lane, what's going on? And we're talking, and he's like, man, I bet you're excited to work with Scott next year. And I'm like, Eric, I've been gone for two years. <laughs> he goes, you're kidding me. <laughs> it was pretty great. It was funny. Well, you're, you're, unfortunately, your season ended last week with the Brewers, and we thought maybe you'd have some downtime. But uh, apparently our archives have found that you've been busy doing some TV work. Let's, let's take a listen. Hey, guys, what's going on? Hey, what's up, Uke? Hey, Uke, I think I got a solution to your problem. Really? So hear me out. I love agriculture. We source all the grains locally, and we call it Lane's Grains. It, it rhymes. Lane's Grains. Yeah, I get it. Not bad for your first try, Lane, but Uke, what do you think about this? Man, you, you become an actor in your days. What's going on here? Well, the, the most challenging thing is now I have to get all my benefits through the Screen Actors <laughs> Guild and all that kind of stuff. So you know, looking through the legal language of the contract was pretty challenging. <laughs> um, yeah, it was fun. We did a video. Uh, the Brewers are changing out their – they have a – restaurant in, in the left field corner of Miller Park and it's been a TGI Fridays for years and years and it's going to switch names and work as a little bit different uh, idea out there as a restaurant in, in the left field corner and so uh, they decided to call it the restaurant to be named later because there may be more coming on the on the horizon and so for the 2020 season it's going to be called the restaurant to be named later um, video of course during Bob Euchre, and uh, let me tell you, there there are some outtakes to that that are hilarious that'll probably stay forever on the cutting room floor. But uh, that was fun putting that together. We had a really good time. Well, that's great. If people want to see the full video, just go to the Brewers Twitter account. They'll be able to access that and see your fine work and your acting debut. Um, playoffs. I love game fives. I love any kind of elimination game. We've got three of them, two today, one tomorrow. How shocked were you at the result earlier today with the Cardinals just ripping open the Braves? I So I was on the golf course, and I glanced at my phone on like hole number 14, and I said to the group of guys I was with, I go, you're not going to believe this. And they go, what? And I said, the Cardinals just put up 10 in the top of the first. And we were, I mean, we weren't even thinking about golf anymore because we just started talking about how crazy that is and how, how, like, if you're the Cardinals, you know, how long do you ride at Jack Flaherty now with a 10-run lead knowing that you're, you know, maybe you want to bring him back a little quicker if you can in the NLCS. And, uh, it, it's just that, 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 was, that was really amazing. That's, that, what's crazy is that you have a game that was an unbelievable series up until today. That was my favorite series. There's been some really good series going on. The playoffs have been very, very good. So that's probably my favorite series to watch so far because there's been a lot of late inning drama you know uh, the cardinals came out and they took care of business and they kind of have some of that cardinals postseason mojo going right now which should scare everybody very good the last week to 10 days boy the postseason you can certainly flip a switch did today winning 13 to 1 all right tonight the dodgers have jumped out three nothing nationals could give them a push just because of their starting pitching and that's kind of played out that way hasn't it yeah, it really has. I think they've they've managed this pretty well. Dave Martinez, it's amazing. I mean, this was a guy that was going to get fired in early May, and uh, instead he got his team to to play well, and he got them to be one of the hottest teams in baseball over the second half of the season. And 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 they've taken the Dodgers five. Now, 
you know, Dodgers jumped out to an early lead here tonight. But um, outside of pitching Patrick Corbin out of the bullpen, which just has not gone well uh, for him, Strasburg has performed pretty well out of the bullpen. Scherzer, you know, has been able to pitch out of the bullpen a little bit for them. That's been a smart move because that's a really bad bullpen that the Nationals have, save for maybe Daniel Hudson. And maybe you can hold your breath and let Sean Doolittle pitch to a couple of lefties here and there. But there just aren't a lot of outs in that bullpen. So by using those other starters on their bullpen days, uh, it's been probably the only way the Nationals could do this. And, they, you know, hey, they've put themselves in a game five. Uh, I'm impressed with them. The Dodgers are really good. So if they find a way to win this one tonight and advance, that they will have earned it and then some. I think I, I think the Nationals have a harder time in a seven-game series because I think their lack of a bullpen would show up a little bit more in a seven-game series if they if they got to the NLCS. Um, Annabelle Sanchez has pitched very well for them too, so um, I think that'll be challenging for them if they do move on. But uh, it, it, look, it's this has been as much as I wish the Brewers would have been in these this NLDS round. Um, it's been a really good NLDS. These have been four good teams, and all four a little bit different and a little bit unique in the way they play the game. Um, so it's kind of been fun to see some of those contrasting styles too. Lang Rendles, our Major League Baseball insider, talking about the playoffs. The American League will have a Game 5 tomorrow. Are you surprised the Rays have been able to get a couple games from Houston? Yeah, I am. Um, just because it's, it's hard to win two in a row against Houston, when they're running the arms out there that they are. I was a little surprised that they, they ran Verlander out there on short rest because, you know, now you don't have him in game five, and I think I'd rather have Verlander held back on a game five uh, if I needed him on full rest versus pitching him on short rest and you lose game four. I mean, I know they've got Garrett Cole, so um, maybe when you have those two guys, you're splitting hairs anyway. So you're like, hey, let's see if we can end this thing early if we possibly can. But um, I, I'm a little surprised the Rays have been able to take the Astros all the way to, to to the fifth game of this series. It's been pretty impressive what they've been able to do. But that's also very Rays-like. Uh, again, very unconventional, basically a bullpen day in game four. They made it work for them because they've made it work for them a lot over the course of the season. And I'm kind of secretly pulling a little bit for the Rays. If there was one team I'm pulling for, it's probably them, only because I think it's a cool story with the with the payroll. But also, there's a lot of former Brewers on that team. It's amazing. I mean, Jesus Aguilar's on that team. Eric Sogard is a great human being. He's on that team. Uh, G-Man Choi was a Brewer last year for about half the season. He was a lot of fun to be around. Uh, Oliver Drake is on that team. I think I'm probably even leaving off a guy or two that, that also have some connections to the Brewers. So um, it's easy to pull for them. And it's nice to see the TROP actually have fans in it. I wish that that were the case throughout the regular season. Yeah, it's usually a ghost town when people go in there to play them. Well, I think we all expected the Yankees to beat the Twins, but it's got to be frustrating for Minnesota, doesn't it, Lane? They've lost, was it now, 13 straight to the Yankees in the playoffs. That's remarkable. It's, it's remarkable that they can't seem to avoid them. They always get matched up with them, whether it was the wild card a couple of years ago or the NL, or ALDS this year. But this one, I think, stings a little bit more great because this was a good Twins team that had a chance to to, to, to advance a little bit. I mean, you have the Astros and the Yankees. They, they, they look like the class of the American League, but 
this was a legitimate Twins team with a really good talent, a really good lineup, top to bottom, the most prolific home run hitting team ever. Um, it, it, this one has to sting a little bit more. Two years ago, that was kind of a team that got hot in the last month of the season, probably overperformed a little bit. Um, you know, I, it was probably pretty cool for them to get into the wild card period. You know, you look at uh, that same season, 2017, that's when the Brewers were, were leading the NL Central for a good chunk of that year. And I remember the Brewers going to Minnesota in pretty much late August. I mean, it was like August 20th or something, if I remember off the top of my head. And I remember sitting in Paul Molitor's office with other reporters, and he was getting asked about the wild card. They were like three games under 500. And Paul Molitor's like, well, we just got to get to 500, and then we can start talking about the wild card. Well, then they got really hot, and they went on a great run, and they ended up winning the wild card and going on the road to New York and getting beat. That probably didn't sting as much as this does, just because I think that the Twins probably felt like this roster could compete with anybody, and to, to go down without much of a fight uh, in, in, the, in the ALDS, and that's maybe not fair for me to say that, because it's not like they weren't out there grinding away and trying to get it done. But uh, to, to, to be handled like they were by the Yankees has to be frustrating for the Twins. Sure does. They did pick up today Cruz's $12 million option for 2020. I think that was a no-brainer the kind of year that he had. Okay, well, enjoy the, the rest of this one tonight. And then the LCS is starting in a couple days. That should be a blast, and we'll get an update from you next week. Can't wait. Thanks, Greg. You bet. Lane Grindle with us here on our Sports Nightly Hotline. We're back. Sports Nightly here on a Wednesday night. Last caller was talking about maybe going to the game in Minneapolis on Saturday. If you're going to be up there Friday night, we're going to be doing Sports Nightly from the Alumni Association's uh, Friday party, football Friday party from the Poor House, which is an establishment in the heart of downtown. Uh, they've held that there the last three or four times we've been up here to play the Gophers. It's a lot of fun. Um, we'll do our show from 6 to 8. There's actually a house band that comes in and plays and then at 8 o'clock that night. But a lot of fun, pretty good food there. Come on out. There'll be a lot of Husker fans hanging out there at the Poor House in downtown Minneapolis. I think the event gets going at 5. We come on the air at 6. It'll actually be Nate Roar starting the uh, the the show. Ben and I are going to be on the team playing, getting up there a little bit later uh, in, the, in the day, but we should be able to get there before the show ends. But come on out and see us at the Poor House on Friday night.